Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, which is found on page 875 in your pew Bible. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And from the book of Ephesians, chapter 432 to 52, which is on page 949 in your pew Bible, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sandy, for that reading. Father, please bless your word as it goes forth from my lips, from your word. And would you cause only what is true and helpful and of you to be remembered and to be acted on this morning. Give us deeper love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we get to talk about the, the signature activity of Christians, which is love. <laughs> love. Love is what we're all about. How many of you have been loved by someone and it's changed your life? How many of you have experienced God's love and it's changed your life? Love is, is what it's all about. Um, our, our covenant, our church covenant, which is what I've been preaching through for the last several weeks, has this wonderful paragraph near the end about Christian love about how we're committing to love one another as Jesus has loved us, to paraphrase. And so here's what the first part of that says. We further engage to watch over each other in Christian love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress. I think we know how to do those things pretty well as a church, few weeks ago when Phyllis was laid up with a back injury, Phyllis and Barry had so much food coming to them that they had to say, stop, please stop, we can't eat anymore. I went to visit Phyllis one day and I had to take a number and wait in line because she had <laughs> Helen and Bill visiting her already. Or, or, you know, as Nancy has gotten her hard news about her cancer, I know that she and Don have received a lot of love and support and offers for help. And I think this kind of love, we, we know how to do it as Christians, as, as this church, and I just want to say, keep up that good work. Um, we know how to step up and help someone who needs help. And so I don't want to focus on that part of our church covenant this morning. I want to spend our time focusing on the second half of this paragraph, which talks about one particular distinctive dimension of Christian love. Hear what it says. 
to cultivate Christian compassion and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, always ready for reconciliation, and mindful of the words of our Savior to secure it without delay. What kind of love is that talking about? It's talking about forgiveness, about reconciliation, about how we handle conflict in a loving, Jesus-centered way. Suppose there was a diagnostic tool that we could hook up to our church that would measure the Christian love in our church. It would probably register things like, you know, helping each other and praying for one another and, and um, taking care of one another, acts of love. But I believe it would also pick up strongly on the level of forgiveness we give and receive, the level of forgiveness and reconciliation we experience as a church. I believe that that is perhaps even a better measure of the distinctly Christian love that we have as a church. Because, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to to be a good and helpful and generous person. But there's something distinctly Christian about forgiveness and reconciliation. And so that's what I want to talk about for today. I want to talk first about why forgiveness is such a huge ingredient of Christian love. Why is forgiveness so important? And then second, I want to give you some practical ways to walk that out. How we can be a forgiving, reconciling community. Okay? So number one, why is forgiveness such a big part of the Christian life? Or rather, why is it central to love? Let me read the verse again from John 13, the verses. Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples as they heard these words. They're all in this lamplit room. They've just finished eating the last supper they ever had with Jesus. And when Jesus said, as I have loved you, what, what memories, what images came into their minds? Well, they probably were thinking about how only moments or maybe an hour before this, Jesus had been on his hands and knees with a towel cleaning their dirty feet. He was a servant who loved them. And perhaps they also remembered times that Jesus had, had fed them or healed them or prayed for them or been compassionate with them. Um, the way he befriended them and called them his friends. He loved them. He was love incarnate, right? But at this moment, his greatest act of love was in the future, was hours away And you know what that was. Be forgiven of their sins. That was his greatest act of love. I'm sure that's what John had in mind when he wrote down the words that Jesus had said. As I have loved you, how how did he love us? By giving up his life for us. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down one's life for one's friends. John 15, 13. 
And that is why forgiveness is always, has always been at the heart of Christian love. Because the greatest act of love Jesus gave us was to provide our forgiveness from sin. Um, and every time you give forgiveness to someone, there's a cross-shaped um, act of love that is happening. There's a small death you die to yourself. You lay down your life for someone when you forgive them. Not literally, physically, but you lay down your pride. You lay down your right to be um, proven right. Your right to have the last word. Your right to be paid back. Those are forms of laying down your life for someone else. Little, little deaths, as it were. Think of a time that someone hurt you recently. Just, just take a second and try to call that to mind, whether it's something that happened in your home or at work or here at church. Just get that, get that image in your mind. What did that feel like? Try to remember what that felt like. And if you chose to forgive that person... Well, let me, let me start with this. If you chose not to forgive that person, <clears throat> what you're saying is they owe me something. There's a debt that they have against me, have for me, that, that they owe me, and I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get justice for, for, or repayment for what they owe me, right? If you chose to forgive them, on the other hand, what you said is I'm going to just bear the cost of that sin myself, and I'm going to cancel the debt that they have against me and refuse to hold it over them or make them pay me somehow so that I can start liking them again. That's what forgiveness is. There, there's a cost to sin. When you sin against someone, there's a cost that is exacted. And forgiveness means um, releasing them from from paying that back, which is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. We owe God a massive debt for our sin. And what Jesus did when he took all that cost onto himself was release us from the debt that we owe to God and forgave. It's almost an economic term, a money term. He, we say, forgive us our debts in some forms of that prayer, as we forgive our debtors. So Jesus has released us from our obligation to try to pay God back for our sin. And so in the very same way, Christians are called to do the same for others, to release others from the debt they owe us because of their sin. That's why forgiveness is always at the heart of Christian love, because Jesus, or God in Christ, forgave us. This is spelled out so clearly in the reading from Ephesians. Let me start reading from Ephesians 4, verse 31. Paul writes, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. I always chuckle at the word brawling because... I suppose we, a fight could break out here and we could be brawling with one another, but I, I hope not. 
Maybe in uh, Ephesus that happened. No, to be honest, um, the fruit of, of bitterness and anger is fighting and, and, and violence. He says, get rid of these things along with every form of malice. What is malice? It's feeling ill will towards someone. Feeling negative thoughts against someone. And then Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's black and white right there. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. There it is again. As a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I hope you notice that pattern so clearly. As God has forgiven us in Christ, we are to forgive others. We're to pardon and release others from what they owe us. As Christ has loved us, so we are to walk in love. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning um, breaking this down into some really practical things we can do to live this out. How can we do it? Well, the good news that I have for you today is that we can grow in our love. We can grow in our ability to forgive people. It's kind of like a muscle that gets stronger by exercise. When Jesus said, this is my command, love one another, he wasn't talking about feelings, like you need to feel loving toward everyone all the time. And that's good news because I, I just can't do that. I don't feel loving toward people all the time. But love is an action. Love is a decision. Love is a behavior that we can actually learn and get better at with the Spirit's help as followers of Jesus. The church that Meg and I used to be part of in Illinois was a small, multi-ethnic, multicultural community of um, believers. And every Sunday at the beginning of our worship service, we would recite our church mission statement, which was this. We are neighbors learning to love unconditionally by doing what Jesus said. Simple, right? Um, and here as members of Georgia Plain Baptist Church, we could say the same thing. We are committed to learning to love as Jesus said, by doing what Jesus said. It's very freeing to know that we can learn these things. They don't have to come naturally to us. We can even make mistakes and try again. Um, right now, Chloe and Asher are taking piano lessons. And, you know, they sit for a, a few minutes each day and plunk out their, their notes on the piano. Um, and it brings me such joy as a parent to hear that because they're learning. They're learning and growing. And I think our Heavenly Father sees us, His dearly loved children, trying to love and forgive. And even if it's such a small, um, you know, it's not impressive. We can't hold a candle to how God has loved and forgiven us. But we can try. We can learn. And I believe it brings God joy when we do. So let's look at four things. Sorry, three things. You just got a bargain on that. 
as contained in our membership covenant, that we can learn to practice. The first thing is this, to cultivate Christian compassion and courtesy in speech. This phrase is almost straight out of Ephesians where he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And so doing this, of course, we want to avoid unnecessary conflict, right? A lot of what we do should be for the purpose of not having to be forgiven because we're not hurting people. We're being considerate and courteous and compassionate to them. The, the term compassion in the Bible means to be moved in your bowels, in your, in your gut. And what it is is to, to be moved by someone else's pain or by someone else's life. And you know, it's awfully hard to be mad or bitter with someone when you can be moved by their pain, when you can feel what they feel. Again, back in this church in Illinois, I I led a worship team, and I remember this one particular woman on our worship team who was just a thorn in my side. Um, She was... She was just a hard person to get along with. Um, and she would often just be surly and grumpy in practice, be kind of uncooperative, um, try to sabotage things. Sometimes she would show up late or not at all. And she was so hard to, to love and to forgive. And then I realized, the light dawned on me, I realized this poor woman was going through daily chronic pain and health issues. She had terrible arthritis. She had a really bad back. She had diabetes that she couldn't manage very well, and so her blood sugar was always going up and down. No wonder she was grumpy. I'd be the same way. You can ask my family. When I'm sick, when I'm grumpy, I'm not that fun to be around. And so Chloe can tell you that. And so learning to have compassion on her helped me to love her and to be patient with her. The same thing is true of us here. The person that you need to cultivate compassion toward right now is the person that annoys you, the person that you just don't get along with or rubs you the wrong way. Try to enter into their life and their pain and walk in their shoes and cultivate that compassion toward them. As we do that, I think that will preemptively diffuse a lot of conflicts because we'll be soft and gentle with one another. Okay, so number two. Our covenant says to be slow to take offense. How important this is how important it is. You know, there are times, no matter how hard we try, when someone is not kind or compassionate with you. Or maybe they don't seem to be. Maybe they say something that, that really bothers you or that hurts you or that you take um, the wrong way. Followers of Jesus are called to be slow to take offense. We're called to overlook sins And um, just give people the benefit of the doubt. 
There's a pastor named Scott Sauls who I listen to from time to time, and he says Christians should be the hardest people to offend, the least offendable people. Why? Because we have known the grace of God. And God, every day, overlooks sin in our life. He, he chooses to let it go. Um, and so, as we relate to one another, we need that principle. Just give people the benefit of the doubt. Always assume the best of them. If you get an email that could come across as being uptight or angry, assume that you're misunderstanding their tone. Um, uh, if you hear through the grapevine that so-and-so said thus and such about you, assume that they were misunderstood or that they didn't actually say that. Gossip is a whole other issue that deals with conflict, but we'll, we can't handle that today. Um, maybe someone came across as dismissive of you or, you know, um, disrespectful of you. Assume that they were just having a bad day. Maybe someone came across really strong or, or like brash in conversation. Maybe just assume that they were worked up about something else. And let things go and, and give people the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> there are times, though, when there's no question that someone said or did something that was hurtful. And there are times when we can't overlook in fact, it would probably be wrong, it would be avoiding conflict to try to overlook everything. Because sometimes there is a, a conflict in a relationship, and if it's not addressed, it creates a rift. It creates distance and awkwardness and disunity. And in those situations, um, uh, those situations, we need to pay attention to the third thing which says, always be ready for reconciliation and mindful of the words of our Savior to secure it without delay. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> A while ago at this church, um, after one, one tense church meeting where there was a clear conflict, conflict between two people, I got a phone call about an hour after the meeting. And this one woman said, I was, I was just so hurt by what that person said to me. And I think they misunderstood what I was trying to say, and they, they got flustered and offended, and they said this that was hurtful to me. And it's really bothering me. What do you do when something like that happens? Well, Jesus is very clear. The Bible is clear. We are to go directly to the person who offended us. Go directly to them. Not an email, not a text. Go to them or at least call them on the phone so you can talk in real time. Um, and to go with a, with a desire to be reconciled, not a desire to win a, fight, win a battle or prove a point or to be vindicated, but with a desire to be reconciled to your brother or sister in Christ. In this example I shared, after listening to this woman and validating their concern, I said, go and talk to that person. And thanks be to God, that's exactly what happened. 
and they were reconciled. They, they, uh, apologies were made for misunderstandings and for hurtful words. And their friendship was probably stronger than it had been before. This is the, the beautiful power of forgiveness, is that it actually takes our sin and our failures and uses them as, as a launch pad for greater, um, for, for a better relationship. At least with the power of God, they can. So, thanks be to God, that's what happened in this situation. And um, uh, when we do this, when we follow God's example of forgiving one another, our sins and our failures actually lead to greater intimacy. That's the power of forgiveness. Of course, we want to avoid hurting each other if we can, but the level of Christian love in our church is not measured by how infrequently we have conflicts, but by how much we forgive when we do. I have two caveats to add here, or maybe one caveat with a, with a sub-point. Um, because we live in a sinful world, it will not always be possible to be reconciled to someone. You can still forgive someone who is unwilling to be reconciled to you, and we need to do that. But it takes two people for reconciliation. So that's the first caveat. And with that, forgiveness is not a license for someone to go on abusing you or mistreating you. You can still forgive them and then um, wait for them to re-earn your trust before your intimacy can be restored. Okay? But, but this is so important. Forgiveness and reconciliation. It was so important to Jesus that he said, if we're not reconciled to each other, something is wrong between us and God. Remember how he said this in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And they remember that your brother or sister has something against you. If you're coming to church, giving your money, worshiping God, and you remember, oh, um, I hurt someone in this church. Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come offer your gift. It's like you might as well not even bother trying to to worship God until your relationships with others are, as far as it depends on you, if they're reconciled. This is such a big deal. And I think that's because Jesus' whole mission was to reconcile us to God by his life, giving his life on the cross, making peace between us and God. He forgave our sins extravagantly so that we might be forgiving people. I want to show you this image in conclusion and just let you ponder this for a moment. You see how these two men stranded on this island um, have had conflict. (laughs) They each have half of a boat built. And they won't be reconciled to one another to get off that island. 
And I believe that is a picture of a church that does not take reconciliation seriously. We cannot go where God wants us to go. We cannot be the church that God wants us to be unless we take Jesus' word seriously and, and walk in love and practice forgiveness and reconciliation. So, let me just, let me give Ephesians the last word and then I'll pray for us. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. O Lord, we adore you, we follow you, the great reconciler. I pray that we would so be so amazed and so humbled by what you did to cancel our sin and to enable um, our, our reconciliation with the Father that we would so freely and easily pass that on to others. I pray for our church. Father, teach us. Um, teach us to be more and more forgiving and reconciling people. I praise you. We praise you for the ways that has happened again and again in our church. I believe our church would not be here today if it had not been happening. And teach us to go, um, go deeper and to find new and wonderful growth as we learn to forgive. Um, soften our hearts. Help us to have the benefit of the doubt. Help us to be slow to take offense. And I pray for any relationships, even now, that are, that are um, at odds or that are unreconciled. Holy Spirit, would you work in each heart and bring peace and, and mend that relationship. And we trust that you have the power to do this. We put our hopes in you. In Jesus' name, amen.